honestly, I'm so excited to continue in our series this morning as we're continuing the series through the book of Daniel. Uh, we've been this series called Living in Babylon, and we have been wrestling with the tension week after week after week, and the tension is this. How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? We've been dealing with very challenging and practical issues. Uh, last Sunday, if you missed out, Pastor Hunter get, just killed it. How many were there? Let's, let's give it up for Hunter. So great. So great. A powerful message challenging us on this sin of pride that we so easily just allow and put up with in our lives. But it really was a challenge. I know myself in this past week, I saw some stuff creep up. Like, I got to deal with that. I can't just allow that to be a part of my life. Uh, two weeks ago, I do, do want to highlight this. Two weeks ago, I spoke a message that was probably the most challenging message I've preached in two and a half years here. And I, and I know this, that uh, for some of you had a chance to listen, some of you have been wrestling with some things, and I know some of you have connected with me. And, uh, but if you missed that message two weeks ago, I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. And if you need to talk, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, but there's some, th- some times it was, it was just a burden on my heart for a long time that we needed to talk about some things and we're able to wrestle with those. And so I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. I believe that was June 27th. Uh, but just excited to continue with the series this morning. So this morning, uh, we are preaching from a text that's probably one of the best, most well-known passages and stories, Bible stories, if uh, you were raised in church at all. And I would say this, that if I could preach one message, that was it. I got one message to preach to our church. It might be this message right here. And so I'm excited to share with you. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. As you're turning there, just a reminder, we're on our Bible reading plan. And uh, we are uh, just reading through the entire scripture. We're in the book of Psalms right now. So uh, if you kind of got off course, don't worry about it. Jump back in on the reading plan. Go to our website. The link's right on our homepage. All right, would you stand with me? So we're going to read our primary text here this morning. If you're a guest here, uh, this is what we do every week. We say, God, we value your word over my words. And so we stand just to reverence God's word. Beginning in verse number 14, it says this. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's pray. Father, this is a word that every single one of us desperately needs. So God, I pray that you would open up our ears, open up our hearts, God, break any hard parts to our hearts that have, that have wanted things our way, and instead, God, I pray that we would submit your way. And so, God, speak to each of us individually. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, the message I've entitled this morning is this, as long as to even if, as long as to even if, and these two phrases are actually really important when it comes to the idea of commitment. You may not realize it, but these two phrases are at opposite ends of the spectrum. What do I mean? 
I'll, I'll use relationships as an example. See, most relationships start out as as long as relationships, don't they? As long as relationships. What do I mean? You say things like that. You see that, that, that girl and you're like, as long as she's cute, I will date her, right? Or as long as I keep getting butterflies, we'll keep going out. Or, or as long as they smell good. Or as long as they keep paying for my meals, <laughs> I'll keep dating them. Or as long as they meet my expectations or fulfill my dreams or my desires, all those kind of things, then I'll continue to be in this relationship. But for many of us, one, one fateful day, we decide to walk across that line into marriage. And at that point, what happens? You decide to move from the conditional to the unconditional, for better, for worse, that the benefits of this relationship outweigh the cost. And so you stay committed in your relationship even if he leaves the toilet seat up, right? And even if she snores like a lawnmower, right? Or even if it smells like something crawls in his mouth and dies every morning, right? Like whatever it is, like you, you are committed every day. You commit to this thing. You love them. You're, you're saying, I am all in even if I'm committed. But let's be honest, no matter how long you've been married, as long as thoughts still creep into your mind, don't they? You're like, as long as they do what I want, I'll be nice to them. As long as everything's working out, we'll be nice. I'll take care of them. I'll do those kind of things. They slip into our, our marriages. And I think the very same thing is true in our relationship with God. That if we're not careful, rather than having an even-if relationship with God, we very often can slip into an as-long-as mindset. And so this morning, this is what we're going to ask ourselves. We're going to ask, are we serving as long as, or are we serving God even if? So I want to dig into this story, and I think there's a couple of principles that are going to come out of this. But before we get into the story, we've got to look at the context. We always ask, what is the context of the passage that we're looking at? Okay? So back to the book of Daniel. What's going on? We, we see four characters keep coming up. It's Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who are they? They are people who are following God in the nation of Judah. But what has happened? The nation of Babylon has been raised up to come and destroy Jerusalem, destroy Judah. And they have now exiled the people from their land back to the nation of Babylon. And these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been brought into the king's courts. They've been trained in the ways of Babylon, the ways of their God, the way to do things, their philosophies, all these things. And now they are serving this king and trying to stay faithful to their God while they are living in Babylon. That's the context. And so what happens at the beginning of chapter 3, we talked about this two weeks ago, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, steps up and he says, listen, I'm going to build this massive statue. He builds a statue, a gold statue. It's like 90 feet high. It's huge. And he says, everybody it has to come and bow down before my statue. Why is he doing that? He wants to assert his dominance. He wants to prove that nobody has an allegiance to anyone but me. I am the one that you've given all of your allegiance to. And so he makes this proclamation, but they hear something. Everybody comes and everybody bows down, but a couple of people spy out these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say, hey, king, these guys ain't bowing down. So what we just read, the king invites them to come in. He says, listen, okay, 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 okay. I've heard that you guys didn't bow down, right? You didn't do what I asked you to do. And I'm, I'm sure, because I'm so powerful, I'm sure you just misunderstood the directions, okay? So I'm going to give you one more shot. If you will come, and you will bow down, right, and you do all the stuff, whatever, no big deal, no big deal, right? But if you don't, just heads up. If you don't, 
you're going to die, okay? So you should probably bow down. That would be a good idea. And so we read the passage, and what do they say? They say, listen, listen, king, like we serve a God that saves, and our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, listen, we're not going to bow down before you. And what you have to understand is that King Nebuchadnezzar at the time is the most powerful human being on the planet. The most powerful man over the most powerful nation in the entire world at that period of time. Nobody tells him no, right? Nobody tells him no. Like, I'm sure he was dumbfounded that these, <laughs> wait a second, what? You're not going to bow? And you can see he gets furious and enraged. What does he do? It says that he takes the heat of this fiery furnace because anybody who didn't bow was going to go in the furnace. He says, crank it up seven times. Make this thing the hottest fire it could pop. He is ticked off. And they take these three men who said they're not going to bow. And what do they do? They take them over to the fire and they throw them. And the guys who throw them into the fire actually die because the fire is so hot. But something crazy happens. You know the story if you've read it before. But King looks into the fire said, ah, there they are. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, two, three. I thought we put three guys in there, didn't we? He <laughs> says, no, they see a fourth, there's a fourth guy in there. And what does the king say? It looks like a son of God, right? And we see this image of Christ, even in the Old Testament, of Christ being there as a protector, a guardian, whatever. And so the king looks in and he realizes they are not burnt up. There's nothing wrong with them. He calls them to come back up out of the fire and they're totally rescued. And he makes this proclamation that says nobody can say anything about their God is the real God who can save and redeem. And, and so he, he says, listen, you can't say anything bad about their God. It's this amazing story. And we love Bible stories like this. There's a reason why we tell this story to our kids. Because it's fun, it's exciting. And it's a, one of those stories where there's a nice bow on the top of it. How many like stories like that? It's why you watch Hallmark. It's why my, mom, why, why my wife watches so many Hallmark movies. It drives me crazy. But every Hallmark movie ends the same. It's like, oh, nice movie, pan off, and then, oh, beautiful song. Okay? We like those kind of movies. But that's not the part of this story that's encouraging to me or inspiring to me. It's the moment before the fire that inspires me. It's the moment before this miracle that inspires me. It's the perspective that these guys have, and it's the faith that they display. Because as followers of Christ, the question again we need to be asking is, how do we have this kind of an even-if faith? When the pressure's on, when the challenges are there, because guess what, folks? They're coming. Some of you are experiencing it right now. Some of you walked into church today because it's been a while since you've been in church, but the life's been hard. Things have been getting difficult, and you just came here because you're like, I don't even know where else to go right now, so I'm going to show up at church today. Listen, I get it. Listen, God has something for you this morning. He has something he wants to speak into your life today, all right? So I, I, th I see two things in this passage of scripture, two very clear things. So if you're taking notes or if you're not, I would encourage you to write these things down. There's two things that we see that, that can help us have this even if faith. Number one is this. These men have a confident assurance of who God is. A confident assurance of who God is. Look at what it says in verse number 17. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Stop and think about it for a second. They knew that God was a God who saved, but it wasn't based on their experience. Think about it. Where are they? They are in exile in a foreign nation underneath of a king who is trying to kill them. If anything else, everything about their lives proves that God doesn't save, 
Because I guarantee you they've been praying, God save us, God save us. And guess what? They're sitting there in an exile in a foreign land. They don't want to be there. But listen, they didn't make their decisions. They didn't view God through their experience. They leaned on the truth of who God is. And here's a problem that we have sometimes, is we often create our own version of who God is. We create God in our mind. Now, if things are going really well in your life, things are good, you're all happy, all those kind of things, then we think about God as like the happy grandpa up in heaven handing out divine popsicles, right? Like, oh, God's just so nice and all this. But if you're going through a hard time, you're going through hurts, you're frustrated, you're mad, you don't get it, some of you are there right now, it's probably not how you view God. Begin to have different understandings of God. You begin to see God, well, maybe God's vengeful. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he doesn't think about me. Maybe he's forgotten about me in some way. And here's the problem. We create God from our own point of view, our own observations, our own feelings, then we develop this corrupt view of God, this heretical view of who God is. What we have to do instead is we have to look to God's word and to his clear revelation in Christ to understand who is he really. And at that point, we have to put our faith in that God, not into our manufactured idea of who God is, not our perspective. What does God's word say? Who has he revealed himself to be? And that's exactly what these three men did. In the midst of a fire, in the midst of a circumstance that said anything but God is Savior, they said, no, we know who he is. We have a confident assurance of who God is, and we choose to stand on it no matter what we feel, no matter what we see, no matter what we want right now. We choose to have a confidence in him, all right? That's step number one. There's a second point, and it's, it's, I think it's just as important as this first step. Now, there's a passage in James, and it says this in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You're like, I believe in God. Great, the demons believe in God. Actually, they probably believe more than you do, Right? And they're pretty confident there's a God out there, okay? You're like, oh, I'm kind of good. No, they know. They know. And they shudder at the reality of who God is. Simply believing and knowing that there is a God, that's not enough. Simply being confident in who, they're confident in who God is. They are. That isn't enough. There's a second step for every single one of us as followers of Christ. It's this. You got to have an extravagant submission to his will. Confident assurance of who he is, absolutely, but an extravagant submission to his will. That's what these three people had. It was more than knowing God. They were submitted to God. What does it say in verse 18 And one of my favorite things? It says, if you throw us in the fire, our God can save us, verse 18, but even if he does not, even if, even if, even if things don't go the right way, right? Think about it. These guys didn't know the end of the story. They didn't know what was on the other side of the fire. They didn't know who was going to meet them in the fire. All they knew is if we don't bow, we're probably going to die. And they said it doesn't matter. We're all in either way. They could have justified bowing. I don't know. You probably could have justified bowing too. You're like, hey guys, let's just bow. We don't have to say anything, right? We don't have to believe anything. Let's do this. Yeah, we don't. Jesus, we love you, right, right, right. They could have justified it, but they didn't. They said, no, 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 we are not going to bow. 
God alone is king. God alone is our Lord. We will not bow ourselves before him. They said, even if things don't turn out the way I want, and even if God doesn't save us, and even if it means certain death, we're going to serve God. Hear this. Some of you may need to write this down. I think too often our issues of faith aren't from a lack of knowledge, but from a lack of submission. We know plenty. Seriously, how many sermons you heard in your life? Some of us, far too many, right? We've heard so many sermons. Problem isn't that we don't know stuff. Problem is we don't do anything with it. We're not submitted to God. We don't say, God, fine, whatever you want. No, we, we want it our way. It's like Burger King, right? It's like Burger King. Like, you've all been to Burger King, you don't know, say, have it your way. You know, when I, when I order at Burger King, I, I, I make sure I change something about the burger every time. Simply to prove that I'm having it my way, right? I don't want to have it their way. I want to have it my way, okay? We, we live that way, and we're in society that says, you've got to do things your way. Everything's got to be your way, and just make it however you want. It's all about you. And then we come to God, and we say things like this, God, as long as it's convenient, I'll follow you. As long as it doesn't cost me much, right? As long as life goes better with you than it did without you, I'll keep following you. As long as your philosophies and your ideals and your desires line up with what my philosophies and my ideals and my desires are, as long as that happens, then I'll keep following you. So often we do that, right? Say, so God, as long as, I'll follow you. As long as. But if God is God and we aren't, then we got to come to him on his terms, not our terms. Based on his desires, right? He gets to call the shots. And so what does it mean to follow Christ? It means even if it's inconvenient, God, I follow you. Even if it costs me everything, even if life gets hard, even if things aren't the way I want, God, even if the way you do things doesn't fall in line with my things, even if your values seem in conflict with my values, even if those things are true, God, I submit to you. I lay myself down before you. I live for you. I worship you. I honor you. I reverence you. It's you. It's not me. <clears throat> That's what it means. It's more than just believing, saying, God, I'm yours. If he's truly the God of the universe, how could we approach him any other way? Think how ridiculous it is how we approach God sometimes. He's the God of the universe. Here, Hey, God, you should do this. <laughs> you should do things this way. I'm like, seriously? You're talking to the God of the universe and you're telling him what he should do. And we come and we say, God, I'm confident in who you are. And I know you care for me, and so I do get the, the privilege of approaching you, but God, ultimately, my heart is in submission to you. It's your will, it's not mine. Even if it's not the way I want it, God, I serve you. My guess is if you've served Jesus for more than a few months, you've encountered a season like this where you've been challenged in how you serve God. <clears throat> I know for me, one of those moments came up about 11 years ago. Um, I... I try not to talk about it too much, but I, uh, about a, you know, I grew up a very charmed life, to be honest, when, especially when it came to my physical. I'm 39 years old. I still don't have a cavity, okay? Like, I, I didn't break things. I was never really sick. I didn't have any problems, whatever. It was one of those things in life. It was just not an issue, okay? But around the age of 27, I started having some physical pain, some issues in my life. 
having some symptoms and some things, and it was just, it was fairly minor, not a big deal, but just like, this is concerning a little bit, not sure what's going on. That went on for about a year. <clears throat> and it was about 11 years ago, right about this exact time, um, that things started to get worse. And there was a morning where it was like it, a light switch got turned on. And it was, I remember the morning it happened, and I, it was like the worst excruciating pain of my life. And I was, <clears throat> I was um, honestly on the floor in our bathroom at our own house, curled up in a fetal position on a ball, bawling like a baby, looking very pathetic and having my wife walk in at me and thinking, not only was I in pain, but I was embarrassed of like what I looked like with my wife. And for the next several months, I was dealing with this. It was, um, I was, and they gave me so many pain medication just to try and deal with it as they were trying to figure out what's going on. We don't know what's happening in my body. And I had a few procedures done and, and some of those things and it, and it was a period of about three months um, before they finally came to terms and figured out, okay, you're, you're suffering from an, a bad uh, issue with Crohn's disease at the time. And so, um, and so we were able to, at that point, be able to get on some medication and, and, and deal with some things. But you rewind just a little bit into the middle of this. It was the beginning of August, I remember, and I was in so much pain that I couldn't even work. I was home for like two or three weeks. I didn't even go into the office because I was just in pain. I showed up on Sunday morning to do what I had to do at church, and then I was at home all week long trying to get some work done while I'm, just, I'm at home just crying a lot of the time. And, uh, and I remember very specifically there was, there was a moment where um, <clears throat> I was, one of the things, one of the few things that helped a little bit was to take a warm bath. It was one of the few things that would help relieve a little bit of pain. And I remember I was sitting in, in the bathtub, honestly, again, pathetic Greg, just crying in severe pain. And I remember sitting there saying, God, why? Like, why is this happening? Like, I'm, I love you. I serve you. Like, why is this happening to me? I don't get it, God. You know, and if you've ever been in that season, you know that, you ask the question, God, did I do something? You mad at me? You begin to question. You begin to, you're not sure how to cope. And I'm sitting there in that moment, and I've, I don't, I have a horrible memory, but I have a very vivid memory of that moment. Because I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, God, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? And the lyrics of a song that was famous at that time of Hillsong worship song, Desert Song, it says, all of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. And I felt in that moment God say to me, okay, you got a choice right now, son. Because life's been pretty easy for you. You've been serving me as long as. Will you worship me even if? Even if? And I had a powerful moment as I just, I remember raising both hands. and just say, God, I worship you. Even if you don't heal me, even if I don't get the answer that I want, even if my life is harder than I want it to be, God, I choose to worship you. I choose to live for you. Now, why do I say this? Because I want you to feel bad about me. That isn't why. I say this because in the moment I had a choice to make. I pray the prayer. Listen, I'm still here. I'm standing up for you. Guess what? I still deal with Crohn's disease. And I still pray over and over and over again, God, would you heal me? Would you restore my body? Listen, that is something that I still pray to this day, okay? 
But to this point, he has not divinely healed me. I'm in a better place than I was, but I, I have not experienced divine healing right now. All right? Why do I say this? Because every one of us is going to be in the same circumstance. And we're all going to have the exact same choice. How are we going to serve God? Why hasn't God healed me? I don't know. But you've got the same questions in your life. Because some of you are out there saying, why did God allow my wife to die? Why did my husband leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why am I single? Why did I have to suffer abuse? Why did my parents have to get a divorce? Why can't I seem to get a break in life? Some of you feel that, and I got the same answer for you. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had an answer. I wish I could solve all the problems in here. I wish I could come and make everything better. I can't but I can give you the same challenge that I felt in that moment sitting in a bathtub is saying, when are you going to serve God? When are you going to submit to him? Are you gonna do it when everything is right? When everything is good? When there's no problems? Are you gonna say, listen, God, no matter what, when it's good, when it's bad, when it's easy, when it's hard, God, it doesn't matter. Even if you don't heal me, even if you don't restore this thing, even if you don't do everything how I want, God, I choose to worship you. I choose to submit my life to you, to give everything I have to you. That's the challenge that I have. And some of you young people, man, you don't know what life has in front of you. Some of you are gonna go on and things are gonna be amazing. Some of you are gonna go on and it's gonna be hard. And I'm telling you, as somebody who's been down that road, you have to make the decision now. If you wait till then, you're going to be in trouble. To say, right now, God, I choose to worship you. This isn't a fun thing that I'm just doing because it feels good for a few months. I'm going to just sprinkle a little Jesus on my life and see how things turn out. No, God, I'm yours. Whatever the future has for me, whatever the road brings me, God, I choose to submit to you. And my desire for us as a church is that we would be that. And I know your stories. I look into your faces and I know the, man, I know the garbage some of you are dealing with. And I wish I could take it away. <laughs> but the only thing I can do is I can give you the encouragement to say, listen, remember what we sang earlier? God is good. He's good. I want to get us to our big so what. We always say this, so what? What's the point of this thing this faith is seen in surrender faith is seen in surrender faith isn't seen in just all the easy times you know faith isn't just I'm just gonna ask Jesus in my heart faith isn't I'm gonna just add a little bit of Jesus to my life faith is saying God I'm yours I'm yours and if there's anything I could challenge every single person to it's that attitude before God Say, God, I know who you are, and I give you myself completely. And some of you might say, well, why? Man, that seems like, that's not like the happy Jesus thing, right? Like, why would I want to give my life if it's going to be harder? Why would I want to do that? 
Here's the deal. God is not asking us to do anything that he didn't already do for us. Because what did our God in heaven say? He didn't say, as long as those people down there do everything I want, then I'll, then I'll do something about it. No, he said, even if, even if I have to give my son into the hands of this world, even if I have to be born in a manger, even if they will speak and people will choose not to listen, even if the religious leaders would have him beaten and spit on him and tear his beard, even if they have to whip him, even if Jesus says, I've got to get up on that cross and nail myself there, even if I will give everything that I've got, do everything I can to save and rescue lost people. So the, the invitation is simply, would we respond? Would we simply do what Christ has already done for us? Around here, we talk about Zoe life being available to us, right? This Zoe life available to us. You know what scripture teaches? There's no life without death. Jesus says this in John chapter 12. He says, if a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, it has to die. But then what happens? Life. See, the life that God has for us, the joy that God has, all of those things, it seems bizarre, but it only comes when we're willing to die to ourselves. To put ourselves into a position of submission before God. To say, God, I'm yours. Wholly and completely yours. So I want to challenge every single one of us with something very simple here this morning, and it's this. Go all in. Go all in. Some of you have been sitting back. You've been sprinkling a little Jesus on your life. Go all in. The point where you say, God, I'm all yours. Not as long as, not just when it's convenient, when it's easy, but God, I'm going to say, even if, even if it takes something, even if it means I've got to lay some things down, even if it means I've got I've to reorient the priorities of my life, whatever it is, God, I want to serve you. I want to give my life to you completely.